All right, so this morning I want to talk to you about resurrection. Um, and let me, let me give you a brief sort of uh, background to why I even uh, went here with this. Um, all over the world, um, I get asked to do Q&As, all right? So what happens is, is I go to churches, and the churches will say, if you're under 25, come to this meeting, and whatever question you have about the Bible, ask that guy, okay? What could go wrong? So here's the thing, right? So I've been doing this all over the world, and here's what I like about it. Here's what I really like about it. I'll never get in an argument. My job's not to prove something to somebody, because if I have to prove it to you, then I'm going to have to keep proving it to you to change your life. My job's not to do that. My job's to listen, to, to engage conversation. And what I get more out of, I get far more out of listening to the question than I do my answer, right? So uh, if it, the act and art of listening, here's what it does. It tells me where we need better language and where there is confusion. Because if people are asking those kind of questions, there might be confusion. Here was, here was the question. Shane, you guys say that resurrection is the fundamental foundation point of Christianity. Yes. Why? Why is it compelling? So a guy rose from the dead. That's just sort of a weird thing. And if it's resurrection you care about, why not just worship Lazarus? He rose first, but there's no such thing as a Lazarite. There's no church of the Lazarenes. So why is the resurrection of Jesus important when it's actually just a weird thing? And if somebody rose from the dead today, even if it made it on the news, you'd sort of, you might watch it if nothing else was on, but it would just be sort of an odd thing. So could you help me understand why believing in resurrection actually makes the world a better place? And I thought... What a fantastic question. So, let's answer that, all right? So, <clears throat> if you've been a Christian for a while and you believe in resurrection, um, I'm going to ask you to, to take a step further because Christianity uh, should not be a group of people who believe in resurrection. Uh, that is not the point. Christianity should be a, peop- a group of people who allow resurrection to be the fundamental way they see their whole world. And if you're here today and you're, you're new to Christianity or you're not sure about Christianity or you're not sure about resurrection, I'm going to ask you to give me a few minutes and I'm going to explain why resurrection makes our world more meaningful, it makes it better, it makes it more compelling, and why living in a world of open possibilities instead of a world of closed possibilities is actually a better way to live. So let's, let's look at what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at this from a first century perspective because they um, experienced it and then they, like we do, they struggled with the language to put around it. Like, what does this mean for our world? So uh, this is Revelation 21. This is a guy named John. And here's what he says. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So there's this assumption. By the end of the scripture, John's like, okay, yeah, when something dies, there's obviously just a new beginning. Now, that's not a natural assumption you come to. This is, there's a reason that that kind of thing is at the end of the book. Where did he get that kind of thing? What you see in Revelation is, oh, yeah, yeah, something died. What appears to be the end is simply a new beginning. It's simply, obviously, if that dies, then there's simply another fresh start, second chance coming. Now, that is pretty compelling. Now, he got this from experiencing the meaning of resurrection. So I want to read the resurrection story to us from the gospel, and hopefully we'll see it a bit of a different way. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now let's stop right there and talk about that. There's a word for that that's called trauma, okay? When you walk into a cemetery and what should be shut is open, 
That is traumatic, okay? That is surprising. Christianity is not a religion based on clear answers. Christianity is based on surprise, hope, and trauma. You can never tell someone, oh, just come to Jesus and your whole life will make sense. No, it won't. No, it won't. Because God is not that which gives us meaning. God is that which renders all things meaningful. That is two different things. God is that which enters into what we think meaning is and busts it wide open and gives a bunch of new possibilities. God is that which enters into what we think the end of the story is and gives a whole new fleshed out form of new possibilities. Now, the word for that psychologically is trauma. Trauma is any experience you have that fundamentally shifts the way you see your whole world after that experience. In most cases, that is a negative thing. I was traumatized by something. And what we mean by that is, is I experienced something that has, I cannot, I can never see the world the same way again. In that sense, God is trauma. God is not something that gives us meaning. God is that which enters into what we think meaning is and busts it wide open, right? For, for the God of the universe to forgive people who are tormenting him, that's not how it's supposed to work. That's trauma. For, for God to wash people's feet instead of demanding his feet to be washed, that's not how it's meant to work. That's trauma. You can't see your world the same after you see something like that, right? In in other words, resurrection should not be something we believe in like a bullet point on a pamphlet. Resurrection should be something that fundamentally shifts the way we see our whole world because resurrection in and of itself is traumatic. In your experience, do dead people stay dead? Yes. Yes. So to see a dead person walking around, that's called trauma. As, as, a, as a matter of fact, the, the, the Hebrew word for resurrection and the Hebrew word for surprise is the same word. And that makes sense. Like, if I died today and you came to my funeral on Wednesday and next Saturday you saw me in the mall, surprise sort of cuts it, right? As a matter of fact, it says, with Jesus rose, tombs everywhere emptied. Trauma. Someone walking on water. Trauma. Now, When I read this story, I want you to, in your mind, count the number of traumas that are happening. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Trauma. But when they entered, they didn't see the body. (laughs) Yeah, that's traumatic. And while they were wondering about this, you reckon? Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Trauma. Yes, and I got to give God some kudos on this. That is a joke I would play. (laughs) Hey, 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 you know what, let's do? Let's get them all looking one way and then put two people who weren't there before just standing there, right? You imagine that? Oh my God, right? It would be be that. And in their fright, you reckon? And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over in the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they, then, oh, yeah, yeah, we do remember him saying something about this. Like, it's sort of like, oh, oh, right. The trauma sort of clouded that. Now, this is l- way later in the same chapter, telling the same story. While they were still talking about this, you reckon when dead people are walking around, that invokes discussion and infinite exploration of meaning, right? While they were still talking about this, 
Jesus himself stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. Trauma. Actually, he made a habit of like doing things like walking through walls, right? That's trauma. I, I probably would have had to call him out on that. Like, come on, bro. Can you open a door like a normal person? You're sort of freaking us out here. Trauma. Trauma. Like, like try to put yourself in these situations. And they were startled. You reckon? And frightened. Uh-huh. Thinking they saw a ghost. That makes sense. And he said to them, why are you troubled? What? Come on, son of God. Why are we troubled? We have no file folder for what we're experiencing right now. Our brain has no pathway by which we can make sense of this experience. Why are we troubled? Are you kidding me? Then the next question is even more sort of, what? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Hello. In our experience, dead people stay dead. You don't appear to be dead. And so it's making us question how we've thought about our whole world up till now. Like if we were wrong about death, what else could we be wrong about? If a dead person is walking amongst us, we're starting to not believe what we're seeing. Yes, of course there's doubts in our mind. Look at my hands and my feet. It's myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Now you notice the story doesn't say, and they immediately got up to touch him. No, they're keeping their distance. Why? Trauma, right? When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Let me stop right there and make a point. Christianity is not birthed in clear definitions of doctrines. Christianity is birthed in surprise, joy, amazement, resurrection, hope, trauma, fundamental experiences that change the way you see your whole world. If someone was to say to me, why does Activate Church exist in Hamilton? I would say that, Hamilton, that Activate Church in Hamilton exists to be traumatic. Because when someone deserves retaliation and you give them peace, that's trauma. When someone can't do anything for you, but you're providing food, shelter, clothing, and medicine for them, that's traumatic. That's why we exist, to bring hope and surprise and resurrection and new starts and fresh chances to our world in order to invoke joy and amazement. And he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Why? Because evidently resurrecting, you work up an appetite. So... They gave him a piece of fish, and he took it, ate it in their presence. It's such a good bar trick. You think I'm a ghost? Check this out. And nothing falls through, right? He's got a body. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So So the question is, what does this mean for our world? How should we see the world differently? And how does this make the world more compelling? And why does Activate Church exist in the way it does? Why, why do we do, what's the why behind the what? I, I, a couple of things on this. One, I think resurrection demonstrates that death has no power. What appears to be the end is simply a new beginning. How, be- how much better of a world is it, is it to know that what looks like the end actually, actually is never the end? It's simply a new Beginning. Hey, I got fired from my job. I know that feels like the end, but it's actually an exciting 
fundamental fresh start with infinite possibilities on the other side of it. Hey, I put everything into that relationship and they left. I feel like it's the end. Yes, yes. But what seems like the end is simply a new fresh start, new beginning. It's never as it seems. It's as, it's as reality is that the enemy of faith is not, is not doubt. Actually, doubt can create the right questions so that our faith gets stronger. The enemy of faith is sight, only going by what you see. Resurrection says that you can't always trust simply what you see. What seems like the end is actually a brand new, fresh start. That's one. Two, resurrection challenges the way we think. If we were wrong about death, what else could we be wrong about? Like there's nothing as sure as death, and evidently we were wrong about that. In other words, I still got a lot to learn. I have doubts rising in my mind. I need to rethink how I've organized my whole world. Resurrection is not that which gives us meaning. Resurrection is that which defies meaning. It's what enters into our world and says what you thought was meaning. Actually, it needs to be busted wide open with brand new infinite possibilities. Resurrection says that, that you haven't thought of everything yet. That if you were wrong about death, what else could you be wrong about? Resurrection says if, if, if you read something and you don't necessarily agree with it, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It might just mean you haven't thought of it yet. Resurrection challenges the way we organize our world around what only makes sense to us and says, actually, there's a world of infinite open possibilities out there. Resurrection says that if we were wrong about death, what else could we be wrong about? Let's say it this way. Resurrection demonstrates the availability of new life here and now. Resurrection says that you don't have to wait to go to heaven for there to be newness, that new life can invade your situation right now, that your tomorrow is not simply a repeat of your yesterday because newness can invade your situation here, now, today. Resurrection is not something we simply hope for. Resurrection is something that can invade our world now, here, today. Let's say it this way. Resurrection demonstrates that there's a new creation bursting forth in the middle of this one. It's a glimpse to what is going to happen later. Resurrection makes us rethink how we think miracles. Like, mir- like, like if everything before time was under the rule of God and everything after time is under the rule of God, then maybe a miracle is not an aberration, but rather a glimpse at what normal is. Maybe what we're experiencing is the aberration and the miracle is normal. Maybe, just maybe, resurrection screams aloud that what you're seeing is not the total reality. What seems like the end is actually a pathway for a new thought that no matter what happens to you, no matter what accident, no matter what breakup, no matter what firing, no matter what failure, no matter what that is, there's always a new chance, fresh starts. It might not look like it always looked, but my goodness, there's a new creation bursting forth in the middle of this one and there's always hope there's always hope now there's this guy named Paul and he's trying to define the meaning of resurrection to a group of people in Corinth and he's not he's having a hard time and and you don't blame him resurrection so new and so surprising that Paul's going well it's this oh and it's this and it's this oh yeah and it's sort of this and it's this and he wrote a letter called first Corinthians and in 1 Corinthians 15, he's trying to, um, he's trying to define resurrection. And it takes him 58 verses. 58 verses. Now, in Bible terms, 58 verses is a saga. It's like the Shawshank redemption of Bible explanations. And actually, frankly, he says some weird stuff in there, like, so you see, 
the mortal must take on the immortal to inherit the imperishable. That clears it up. He says, hey, because of resurrection, we don't have to baptize dead people anymore. Now, I left that off the list of meaning just because I don't know that, why that was ever a problem. But, but, but I love Paul because Paul's a rabbi. And like all great rabbis, he summarizes his entire thought in one statement at the end. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Here's the summary of everything he said before. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. In other words, Paul says, if you want to know what resurrection means, it means anything you're trying, if you're trying it for the Lord, you can't waste your life. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, it's still not a waste of time because you're doing it for God, right? right. Hey, hey, that seven years you gave to that business, yep, it worked, great. But if it didn't work, you still didn't waste your life because you were building that business for God. You might be thinking, I wasted seven years of my life building that business. No, you didn't. Not if you were doing it for God, because if you were doing it for God, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. If you're a wife for God, nothing's wasted. If your husband accepts you, awesome. If he ends up rejecting you, you didn't waste that time. You didn't. I was married 15 years to that guy, and then he left me. I wasted 15 years of my life. No, you didn't. Not if you were a wife for the Lord because nothing is wasted. If you're a husband for the Lord, if your wife loves you, respects you, and accepts you, awesome. If she ends up not loving, respecting you, and accepting you, also, you did not waste your life. You say, man, spent eight years with that woman, and then she left me, right? I just feel like I wasted a decade of my life. Yes, you did if you weren't doing it for God, but if you were a husband for the Lord, then nothing is wasted wasted. You parents, you can't waste your parenting. You can't. You say, I have four kids. They're all awesome. Great. You didn't waste your life. But if you said, hey, I got four kids. Three of them are fantastic. One of them's sort of a lunatic. I think I wasted my life with that one. No, you didn't. If you are a parent for God, you cannot waste your life. And here's what's so inspiring. Paul wrote this while waiting to die at the hands of Nero, having never known if what he did mattered. Paul died at the hands of Nero horribly before Christianity was legal, before it took off, before the Gospels were written. Paul died having never known if what he did mattered. And that, I, that's what inspires me the most. Is Paul's like, you know what? If Christianity takes off, great. If Christianity doesn't take off, I still didn't waste my life because I woke up every day saying yes to the infinite possibilities God has for my life. And I said yes to God. I was doing this for the Lord. And if you do it for the Lord, it's not wasted. You put on that youth event and a lot of people show up. That's awesome. But if you put on that youth event and not very many people show up, you still didn't waste your time because you did it for God. You did it for God. If you're a worship person, and you know what? I feel bad for the worship people because I travel the world and always, it's always half the crowd shows up when the worship starts and then they trickle in for the first 25 minutes. I'm just waiting for a worship person to lose their mind at some point and go, where have you people been? We practice all week to do this and you can't bother to show up on time. Flip. I feel like I'm wasting my time up here. No, you're not. If you're doing it for God, nothing is 
wasted. Nothing is wasted. This is a better life, right? Can you imagine a world where death doesn't get the last word? What appears like the end is just a new beginning. That we have a world of open, infinite possibilities. That we can't even be sure about death. That new creation can burst forth in the middle of this one. And we cannot possibly waste our life. That is a compelling existence. Let's say it. Let me try to put some language around this. Let's say it this way. Resurrection declares that this world matters to God. It is still valuable enough and good. It's still valuable enough for God to start the process of reconciling the whole broken thing to himself, that this world matters to God. Jesus came back into this world to restore this world. God is not destroying this world. God is using the body of Christ to repair this world because this world matters to God. Resurrection makes us rethink the way we think about the afterlife, that this is not all about going to heaven when we die. This is about saying yes to the infinite possibilities that God has for us to restore this earth here now today and partner with what he's up to in this world at this moment at this time let's say it this way resurrection means that how we speak act and treat others matters because god is restoring creation and we should be partnering him with him to repair the world resurrection means that how you treat someone who cuts you off in traffic matters because they are a part of god's world and they're a part of the repairing of it how you treat the waitress who's taken too long to take your order that matters because she's a part of God's world, and God is a part of repairing it, and we should be a part of that. How you treat your husband when he leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time, it matters because your husband is a part of God's world, held together by God's name and God's breath, and God is restoring and repairing him, and we should be a part of that. How you treat your wife when she does something that disappoints you, that matters because she's a part of God's world held together by God's name and she's being restored and renewed by God and we should be a part of that. How you treat that child when they're doing something naughty, that matters because we're a part of God's world held together by God's name and God is restoring the whole broken thing back to himself and it's going somewhere beautiful. The only question is, will you be a part of that restoration process or will you sit out of the dance? Resurrection says that every day you don't wake up waiting to go to heaven when you die. That would be boring. You wake up saying yes to the infinite possibilities that God has for you here, now, today. There's a guy named Peter, and he's trying to work out, how do I explain this? Peter was sort of known for being a little bit of a lunatic, right? He, he's brash. He's out there. He chops a guy's ear off. He makes bold declarations. You're the Christ, the son of the living God but later denies Christ and calls down curses on himself. He's sort of all over the place, sort of like me, sort of like you. He does some crazy things. Like there's this one story where it says he was fishing naked, which is nothing like me and nothing like you. And fishing is in the list of things you should never do naked. It's up there with cooking bacon, right? <laughs> so Peter had a bit of regrets. One time, he called, out, he called out two people for lying in church, and they died. He's got some traumas going on. You don't quite get over that real quickly, you know? So he's writing a letter later, and he's like, you know what? I got to work out what resurrection means for our world. And I love his explanation. Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he'd given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In other words, Peter says... What's resurrection mean? It means, 
it, it, it means you get, you, get a new, you get a new chance. You get a new birth. It, 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 Peter's like, um, resurrection is like a freshly made baby. Like, if I brought a freshly baked baby up here, I'm talking about like, like, like Zeke's a year. I'm talking about like, like really small, you know. Like a baby you can almost hold in one hand. If I was to bring a baby that new up here, and I say, describe what you see, we would all struggle with the language of that. Because true new life can only be spoken of in metaphor. It's too, you can't, it's sort, of like, it's sort of like me saying, explain in quantitative form how much you love your spouse or your child or or it's, it's too hard to do. So, so, so Peter says, here's what resurrection is. It, it's like a freshly baked baby. It's, here's what it is. Resurrection is new life. It's, it's second chances. It's do-overs. It's fresh starts. It's mulligans. It's clean slates. It's the opportunity to write a better story. Now that would be compelling. A world where death doesn't get the last word and what looks like the end is simply a new beginning where new life can burst forth in the middle of this one and new creation can invade our world. A world where we cannot waste our life. That everything we do and everything we say matters in partnering with the repairing of the world. Oh, and by the way, when you stuff things up, Resurrection means you get fresh starts, new chances, clean slates, and the opportunity to write a better story for your life. Resurrection says when you get in the middle of that, that you cannot outrun the grace of God with a mistake because there's always a do-over waiting for you. Let's say it this way. Resurrection offers new birth, an imagery that gives hope to a do-over, a fresh start, a new birth, and a belief that says how it has always been isn't necessarily how it will always be. There's always a better story to write. There's a guy named Paul. He's writing another letter to a group of people in Rome. Here's what he says. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. We know that since Christ is raised from the dead, he can't die again, and death no longer has a mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And what does that mean? Do not offer any part of yourself as a sin, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, so that sin shall no longer be your master. In other words, to Paul, resurrection meant that what used to be and what used to be in charge is no longer in charge. That anything that belongs to death does not belong. Evidently, in God's new world, Death does not belong. Only life does. Let me try to put some language around that. Resurrection offers the opportunity to be free from whatever's driving our lives. Fear, rejection, pain, control, greed, hoarding, lust, and anger, they all belong to death, and death does not belong. And anything that does not belong does not have mastery anymore. Paul says, if you want to know what resurrection means, it means that nothing can be in charge of you that doesn't belong to life. And we get an opportunity to choose to do that which is profitable not because of fear of punishment or expectation of reward, just simply to be 
free. Because if all things are permissible because there's no fear of punishment, then that would be the single thing that would, that would empower us to do that which is profitable. Paul says because of resurrection, we are to offer no part of ourselves to sin because it can't be our master. Why? Because resurrection is at work in our world. And anything that belongs to death does not belong. Now, here's a, the great theologian N.T. Wright. And uh, he wrote a book on resurrection. And here's what he said about it. The first Christian imagery of resurrection was vibrant and noisy. Try that again. The first Christian imagery of resurrection was vibrant and noisy. It rings with a victorious shout, like in the middle of a nap, being hearing the, tr- the burst of a trombone. I love that imagery. In other words, you're just about to go into that dream state on the couch in the afternoon, and somebody puts the bell of a trombone next to your ear hole, and it's like, Bruh! I love that. Be trauma. It rings in your head as a wake-up call to those who awake to the lie that today is simply a repeat of yesterday. Why is resurrection compelling? It's because it, Resurrection creates a world where what seems to be the end is just a new beginning. Creates a world of open possibilities, not closed ones. It says that if, just because you can't see it doesn't mean that you can't be in awe of it. It means you can't waste your life. It means that everything you do matters. That, that we're not living in a way that simply lives to go to heaven. We're living in a way waking up to the infinite possibilities God has for our life here now, today. It, it, it means that we get fresh starts, second chances, um, clean slates, and the opportunity to write a better story. It means that anything that does not belong to life, anything that belongs to death, death does not belong. It is that. It, it wakes people up to the lie that your tomorrow is not simply a repeat of your yesterday. Because Christianity is not birthed in meaning. Christianity is birthed in the oblivion of what we think meaning is to birth new infinite possibilities. This would be an exciting life. Let's see if I could summarize the whole thing in one sentence like any rabbi would. Resurrection screams aloud about the old way. He isn't here. That's resurrection. It's like this, like where I met a woman here. I can't remember. I can't remember if she's here I remember what she, she was really, really, really hooked on heroin. And she was losing custody of her children. And she was broke. And she was doing detestable things to try to get it. She was losing her dignity. I can't, where is that lady? Oh, you didn't hear? She, she had an encounter with the risen Christ and she's not here. There's a fresh, new, better story that's being written about her life because death does not belong. Where's that? There's a guy I met here. He, by his own testimony, he had a real anger problem, you know, like real sort of almost abusive sort of guy. Actually, actually was fixing to lose everything that was important to him. Actually, where is that guy? Oh, oh, you didn't hear? Oh, he had an encounter with the risen Christ and resurrection got into his life and he's not here. And there's a better new story being written about his life where the things that belong to death don't belong and don't have mastery over him. Oh, where's that person that was told me they were having trouble forgiving their dad? And 
Oh, oh, you didn't hear what happened? Oh, oh, they had an encounter with the risen Christ. And the good news is that they aren't here. There's a fresh, new, fresh story, a new, better story being written about their life. Because resurrection screams, he isn't here. And that would be a better world. Now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. I don't know where we ever came up with the notion that a sermon is good if we agree and not good if we don't. Because if Christianity ever became that, we would be boring. Great sermons are meant to be wrestled with. So let's wrestle. Is there any place that we believe tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday? Like, in our heart, we actually are struggling with the conviction that my, my right now won't change. The grief I'm feeling right now, the heartbreak I'm feeling right now, the disappointment I'm feeling right now, it's never going to change. Where do we need to repent of that? Because resurrection should not be a doctrinal point. Resurrection should be a fundamental way of seeing our world. And resurrection does not allow us to live in despair. The conviction that tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday, it does not allow for that. Let's say it this way. Where are we actively participating in the repairing of the world? Or are we simply sitting on our butt waiting to go to heaven when we die? But maybe we say it this way. Besides our family, whose life is better because of us this week? Where are we intentionally making someone else's life better? Say it this way. Where's the old guy still alive? Where are we scared to let that old thing die? Because we're scared it'll take part of us with it. And actually, resurrection is a lifestyle choice. Resurrection is a way of seeing the world. Actually says what seems to be the end is just a new beginning. Or maybe we could say it one last way. Can we make a commitment to demonstrate resurrection instead of just announcing it? See, Christians are very good at announcing what they believe on the internet in the most horrendously worded ways. Christ is risen. He's alive. The tomb is empty. Okay. But I would pose the same question that young lady posed to me in the Q&A. So? Jesus is alive. So? The tomb's empty. Amen. I agree. And? And? Come on, he rose again. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. So? See, Christianity is not compelling when we simply announce the bullet point on our doctrine. We believe he's alive. Yeah. Christianity is the most compelling when resurrection is a fundamental way of seeing our world, when people are demonstrating resurrection instead of simply announcing it. What does that mean? Oh, hey, little girl. Hey, guess what? I know you don't have food right now, but your tomorrow is never going to be a repeat of your yesterday because Activate Church just walked in your life. And when we walked in your life, resurrection walked in your life. That means surprise and hope and trauma walked in your life. Do you know what's going to happen from here on out? You're going to have food. You're going to have proper shelter, water, and medicine. Why? Because we just walked in your life. Because we don't just announce resurrection. We bring it to the world. Oh, oh, solo mom. Oh, I know you're a couple months behind on your bills and I know, you know what we're going to do? 
we're gonna show up and we're gonna stock your freezer with two or three months worth of food and, and we're gonna get you all caught up so that you could start to get ahead because your tomorrow is never a repeat of your yesterday. Why? Because we don't just believe in resurrection. We demonstrate it. And surprise, your tomorrow has just changed because newness walked forward and there's gonna be a better story. See, the, the best evidence for resurrection and Jesus in our world is not the Bible. The best evidence is changed lives. Is when the body of Christ actually demonstrates it instead of simply announcing it. So, my brothers and sisters of Activate Church, may you not just be people who are on your way to heaven when you die. May you be people saying yes to the infinite possibilities to bring heaven to every place we see hell here, now, today. May you not just be a Christian that gets all the right thoughts in our head. May we be demonstrators and not simply announcers. To proclaim in demonstration and action. Do not love in word only, but in actions and truth. May we be the people who are the trauma in our world. May we change the way people see their world from this point forward because we brought something that makes their tomorrow fundamentally a better story than their yesterday. May we be those people and be that compelling. Until I see you tonight, everybody, grace and peace. God bless.